Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. everybody welcome to episode 469 of the professional book nerds podcast presented by overdrive just adam today happy monday if you're listening to this on the day it comes out and happy whatever day it is if you're listening to it at a later date uh today's episode is an interview i did with francisco x stork who is the author of a new book that is coming out uh or just came out rather called illegal Um, it is the sequel to his book called disappeared and it's a really poignant and interesting look at uh, the kind of immigration process and asylum process in the United States. Uh, it's the story of uh, these siblings from Mexico who are trying to enter the United States for uh, reasons that become very clear in our conversation. Uh, and one of them tries to do it the legal way through asylum and the other one tries to do it illegally. Um, and just the differences and just the, it's a really interesting look um, at everything that people go through when they're trying to seek asylum in the United States and really when they're just trying to enter the United States um, and you know become a member of the society. Uh, Francisco grew up in Mexico and um, has a lot of firsthand experience with coming to the United States and becoming a citizen. Um, so we get into all of that as well as his background as a lawyer and just had a really great conversation about uh interpersonal relationships in his stories and and all sorts of other stuff. I really think you're going to like it. Uh, He's written a ton of books that I think you should check out if this is the first time you're hearing about him, but um, just really, really powerful stuff. So I really think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, A few other things going on just quickly to let you know about. Big Library Read is still going on. That is Overdrive's digital book club. So if you want to learn more about that, you can go to biglibraryread.com. Uh, and you can borrow the ebook or the audiobook of the Darwin Affair for um, the next couple weeks, and then you can join our discussion board. Uh, just about 20,000 libraries are participating, so odds are your library is going to have the title if you open up Libby or the Overdrive app, however you use your Overdrive services. Uh, you'll be able to find the book right there. A few other fun things. Um, if you go to shop.overdrive.com, you can see a lot of really great stuff that we have available as apparel. Um, there's Libby hoodies, there's Sora stuff, there's professional book nerd stuff. Uh, we're going to be adding some Libby masks in the near future, so you can look out for those. Uh, and 100% of the proceeds to that goes to library uh, charities, which is really nice to know. So you're doing some good in the world there as well. Plus, you're getting some really cool stuff, tote bags, all sorts of fun things. Um, also, we don't offer, I don't ask this very much, but if you enjoy the show and you have appreciated the recommendations we've given you over the years or just these past few months, however long you've been listening, uh, if you can give us a five-star rating and a quick review wherever you listen to your podcasts, it really helps people find us a little bit more easily. Um, so yeah, don't ask that often, but if you wouldn't mind, that'd be really great. Okay, not going to keep you any longer. I'm going to let you get to this conversation with Francisco X. Stork on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Mm-hmm. 
Before we get to today's conversation with Francisco X. Dork, I want to talk about one of today's sponsors, which is our friends from Literati. Uh, Literati is something that you've heard us talk about uh, over the past few months, and it's just one of the coolest programs available out there. So with libraries, schools, and bookstores shut down, you know, how are you keeping your kids learning and growing? And, and Books from Literati, the number one book club for kids, it's really the best place to start. Uh, Literati is this subscription book club that makes it easy to find unique and interesting books for your kids by delivering great stories straight to your doorstep. Uh, Literati knows that home deliveries are really critical right now in meeting your need for uplifting educational materials in you know the coming weeks and really the coming months because a lot of unknowns with what schools are doing about whether it's virtual learning or people are doing homeschooling, you know, but you still need to make sure that your kids are reading. You know, reading books together helps create a time of adventure and bonding for your family and has real educational benefits. Uh, kids who read books have better vocabularies and longer attention spans. Uh, each literati box contains five beautiful books based on a theme and contains exclusive original art and a personalized note to your child. Uh, I've talked about one of my nieces in the past about how I read to her every Monday night over Zoom so that we can you know, safely do it. And we've been reading all the books that she gets from literati, which is great. Uh, but also I have four other nieces and nephews from uh, one of my other siblings. And they all get boxes as well from their various age groups. And it's really, really supplemented their summer reading program. And again, it's just, I can't stress enough, and I do this every time that we talk about literati, knowing that they're getting something that is exclusively for them is such a cool thing for children. And it just really, seeing their eyes light up, I get you know FaceTime calls from my nieces and nephews every time their literati box arrives, and they're so excited. So it's just something that... I know you're going to love if you have children in your lives, whether it's your own or nieces and nephews, highly recommend getting this for them. And for a limited time, if you go to literati.com slash probooknerds, you can get 25% off your first two orders. This is the best offer that they have available anywhere. And to get it, you have to go to literati.com slash probooknerds for 25% off your first two orders. Last time, that's literati.com slash probooknerds. Hi, everybody. It's Adam, and I am extremely excited for you to hear today's conversation, which is with Francisco X. Stork, who is the author of eight different novels, including the one that we're going to talk a lot about today, which is Illegal, which comes out in August, uh, right around the time that you're going to hear this. Uh, Francisco spent uh, many, many years before he became a full-time author um, doing legal work as a lawyer and then helping uh, people find housing, and there's just so much good stuff in here that I, that I want to talk about. But First off, Francisco, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. So we always love starting our conversations by having the author kind of introduce their latest book. So can you give our listeners a little bit of an introduction to Illegal? Sure. Illegal is um, it's my, first, uh, my, my first time writing a sequel, and it is a sequel to Disappeared. It came out a couple of years ago. And it follows this disappears the story of Sara and Emiliano, a, a sister and a brother. Sara is a reporter in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. And she's investigating the disappearance of so many women in that city over uh, the past uh, 10 years. Uh, and the closer that she gets to finding the truth, the more her life becomes endangered and, and, and the more her life of her, uh, her brother as well. So uh, as, as, uh, they they eventually have to make a decision to to save their lives by by crossing over into the United States, and um, 
that's where disappeared ends and where illegal uh, takes up. It is, um, Sarah believes that she has a really good case for asylum because she is being persecuted by a, a governmental uh, body in Mexico and her life would definitely be, uh, uh, she would be killed if she returned to Mexico. One of the, so those are sort of the categories by which asylum <laughs> it, it can be granted. And so she believes that she, she, she turns over herself to, uh, uh, to the immigration authorities seeking asylum and is immediately put in a detention center like almost everybody seeking asylum <laughs> these days is. Yeah. Uh, and Emiliano goes off and, and tries to find his estranged father in Chicago, uh, carrying with him a cell phone that has information on, on, on the criminals who, um, who made so many women disappeared. And um, what they find out really is that, is that uh, the dangers that they faced in Mexico are, 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 uh, are not as great as the dangers that, are that will face them in the United States, a different kind of danger, more subtle, perhaps more bureaucratic, more institutional, but just as, uh, uh, just as deadly. I'm really glad that, that you brought up the, the, the part that you know, Sarah kind of starts in the more or less in this um, situation with, with her kind of seeking asylum. And really what you lay out for her feels like, at least to me, what would be the definition of a person who deserves asylum and, and safety in, in this country. But it is such a an unknown to so many people in the United States and beyond, like how challenging it really is to go about that entering the country in a legal way when exactly what you said like she gets put in more or less a prison for doing the right thing and, and I think telling people that it, it really is it's such a misunderstood process that people really do struggle with yes I mean and for for I mean I, I wanted to have a character that that actually met the conditions for <laughs> for right. legal asylum as, as prescribed by the law, you know, because so many of, uh, of course, so many of the refugees that are now coming into the United States um, are, 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 are leaving because of poverty or for abuse or for gangs, uh, things that the law right now does not recognize as uh, 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 granting asylum, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, and Sarah meets a lot of these women in in the detention center, and she kind of compares herself to them, and says, you know what, you know what, a, and, and and part of her, part of her journey becomes, you know, sort of like, uh, she's becoming one of them in many ways, you mm -hmm. know, uh, whereas she thought that she had some special circumstances and certain, you know, those those kind of um, those kind of change as she as she as she as she continues. Yeah, and, and you you see so many stories now of people who are in these, you know, for lack of a better terms, they're you know, they're 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 basically prisons, they're camps for people they're they're almost held hostage in these places they can't leave. And one of the things that I really like that you do, and it's relatively early on, is she starts to you know, there's this whole part where she talks about how one of the people working at the um, you know, at the, the camp itself tells her that she's not special. And she begins to sort of think that. She's like, you're right, I, I thought I was special and and I think what people might not realize, like, even if it's only for a few weeks or a few months and people are put in these places while they're waiting for asylum and they're separated from families, the, the mental anguish and the, the, the things that go on in their brain last so much longer and it leaves such a lasting effect on these people that are trying to come to the country. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess, it, you know, it's one thing if you are like a criminal and get caught and put in jail. <laughs> right. Maybe you feel like, okay, so I got caught. But but these are people who are, are uh, you know, um, they're not really criminals, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, they're just seeking a, a good life. And then, and, and so the, so the, so to be treated like that, I think does have a, does have a, a, a toll on your, on, on the way that you see and see yourself and see others. You know? mm-hmm. uh, when you were writing Disappeared, did you know that there was going to be a follow-up novel or was that something that you sort of realized along the way? No, I, I, it was about, uh, about three or four months afterwards, after I finished uh, uh, Disappeared, that uh, the characters were still with me and, and, you know, things were continuing to happen in the United States around uh, immigration. And, um, and I just felt like I had left. It was the first time that I wrote a book where I felt that the characters, uh, that I had not leave them in a kind of a, um, a hopeful place. Yeah. yeah. And and so I decided to uh, to drop the book that I was working on at the time and and, and take up uh, uh, with the legal. Mm-hmm. So how would you say the things going on in America right now, or I mean, not sort of right now, but you know, over the past few years since it takes a while to write a novel, um, yeah. how how would you say that those things affected writing this follow up story? Well, you know. Um, one of the things that that, that uh, before Sarah came over to the United States, um, she, as a reporter, she kind of envied the reporters in the United States because she saw some of her colleagues get killed for writing about cartels, you know. Mm-hmm. And she looked across the border and and, and saw hope, you know. Uh, there's a place where I could uh, where I could write with truth, <laughs> where I could pursue the truth. Uh, and so one of the things that happens, you know, as she, as she gets put in the detention center and, and uh, as, she begins, as she begins to see that this system of laws that she admired so much uh, is not working so well for her, you know, is that there's a, there's a gradual diminishment of faith in, 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 in the United States and in in what it stood for, you know, what, what its values were. And, and it's a gradual thing that happens to Sarah. And I guess, I guess that that's, I would say that that to me, that, that what happens to Sarah is kind of a reflection of, of what I kind of went through uh, in the past few years. And this kind of a, a diminishment of faith, you know, I was, uh, I became an American citizens about eight years after I, I, I had an opportunity to, to become one because I really thought about it. And, and I, and I really, you know, I was in law school at the time and I, I really thought that, that for all its flaws, the United States had the best legal system in the world. You know? And, and so some of this, some of this loss of faith, uh, will happen over the past few years, um, in, in the, in, in the laws that are enacted via executive order, for example, or in the application of existing laws, uh, in, the, in the animus behind the laws, you know, um, I think all of that kind of affected me and it and, and it got and it got uh, uh, made it its way into the book through Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say I have to imagine having spent so much of your life practicing law and, and in the legal world, it has to be pretty frustrating to to see just such blatant disregard for the rules and and things that we in this country are supposed to define what makes up you know the rights and of the people of the people and everything like. Imagine having as much knowledge as you do about that it has to be a little bit disheartening to see the way that those laws are being treated right now. 
I mean, yes, I think that, that the, um, the, I mean, there will always been bad laws, right? I mm-hmm. mean, um, segregation is an, as a good example. Uh, the law that prohibited slaves from being taught how to read, you know, <laughs> and that was an actual law. You get, you could get put in jail, you know? So it's, it's, right. it's kind of like, um, it's not so, it's, it's, it's the law, but it's also what's behind the laws. You know, it's like, what is, what is it the, behind the, behind the law, there has to be like a value, mm-hmm. right? That, that, that you, that you consider uh, worth enacting. And um, uh, what's worrisome so much is not, is not so much, you know, it's not so much the laws, but it's really kind of like what's, it's, it's what's behind them or what's not behind them anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, it hurts to see so many, so many people, for example, I mean, it's, it's not just, it's just so many people believe that, that, um, that it is okay to treat uh, human beings in a certain way. I mean, and, and to cite, we are a nation of laws as a reason for, for doing it. Right. Yeah. I mean, those, those laws are maybe not different, but but they're they're now being applied in a in a in a in, in a in a different way. Mm-hmm. I want to take a quick break from our chat to talk to you about another one of today's sponsors, which is Freshly. Uh, I used to think that eating better meant that I had to put hours of research into my recipes, take multiple trips to the grocery store, and then spend hours uh, you know, monotonously cutting up vegetables and prepping everything. And then we discovered Freshly. Uh, they understand that food needs to be delicious, healthy, and simple. Uh, because let's be honest, if it's not, it can be challenging and really time consuming and sometimes you just don't wanna do it. And if food doesn't taste good, you're not gonna to wanna to put all that work into it anyway. Uh, with Freshly, you can avoid going to the grocery store entirely and enjoy fully prepared dinners delivered fresh, not frozen, right to your door. You know, put up your feet and relax. Freshly chefs and nutritionists do all the hard work and all you have to do is heat it up for three minutes and dinner is completely done. You guys, this is some of the best food that I've ever had <laughs> delivered to my house. It's such a cool thing to see this package, this huge box arrive at your door and there are these incredible uh, kind of like frozen reusable packs that they have to keep all the food cold so that you don't have to worry about them spoiling or anything like that. And you just open it up and there's these meals just waiting for you and they're beautiful and they're delicious. I know there's golden over fried chicken, there's creamy springtime risotto, they have fall apart tender beef brisket. I mean, there's so much stuff that they go on. And every single week you can go onto their website and see all the different health conscious options that there are to choose from. It's amazing. Actually, my neighbors also have been using our promo code, which is great. So I'll go out and I'll get my mail and I'll grab my Freshly box. And sure enough, there he is holding his own Freshly box, looking at me and how excited he is. And he's like, hey, I got this from your guys' promo code. I really, really appreciate it. So if you want to be like my neighbor and join one of the one and a half million satisfied customers that have been skipping shopping to uh, prepping, cooking and all that cleaning up, what you have to do is go to Freshly. Uh, They're offering our listeners $40 off of their first two orders at Freshly.com slash ProBookNerds. That's Freshly.com slash ProBookNerds. Something that I got really excited to talk to you about was the fact that like the these stories, they're, they have very um, you know, serious and adult situations in the sense that like, there's very real stakes for your characters. 
but you wrote them in a young adult story. They're, it's a very approachable story for younger readers. And I love when people do that because I think too often young readers are handled with kid gloves. Yeah. Um, but as an author, what made you want to tell these stories that again are, they do have a lot of adult themes and they're very serious in a way that is approachable for younger readers? Well, I think part of it is just that, that I need to kind of follow my heart and write about what, what, um, what, what really interests me, what, what, you know, what I have questions about, what I struggle with. And, 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 and you know, that's what's going to keep me going over the year or two years that it takes to write a book. And um, that's, what's, that's how I, 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 I use the book as a, as a um, uh, Annie Diller would call, call it an epist- epistemological tool, right? Mm-hmm. So you discover things through the writing. You discover, mm-hmm. or, or, or you at least you you attack some questions. And so, um, and so I, you know, I, I, I do, I, I do that in the hope that that others will find find that interesting, uh, interesting as well. And um, I, I don't, um, I don't shy away from 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 tough topics. I mean, I, 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 I uh, because I, I see, I see part of the writing process, especially for young people as, as a, um, as a learning process as well, you know, and, and, and kind of hoping that they, um, that they see things that they had not seen before or think about things that they had not thought about before. So it, it kind of, it's an opening, you know, as I open, as I, be, as, as my head becomes clearer in the writing process, hopefully, they see things as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I will say, I do think in a way to kind of find some hope in, in our world, one of the things that gives me hope is looking at um, like all the young adult bestsellers lists right now, because so many of the books there at the top are diverse authors. You know, it's uh, Angie Thomas and Jason Reynolds and Dr. Ibram X. Kendi. It's, it's these authors who are writing stories about, you know, BIPOC young people. And I think what makes me so excited about that is the majority of those readers and readers of your novels are going to be younger. And so they're being exposed to stories that are more diverse than their own background. And it gives, it gives me some hope to know that the younger parts of our country and of our world are seeing these stories. And there's authors like you out there who aren't treating them as if they're not ready for these types of stories. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think that, 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 that early on as a writer, you have to make a decision, especially if you're writing for young adults, is, is whether you want to be a horizontal writer or, or a vertical writer, you know. Mm. So a vertical writer is, is one who's going to reach fewer, fewer people, but in a deeper way. Mm. And a horizontal writer would, would, would probably think about, okay, what are the things that are interesting young people and, and how can I reach as many of them as possible? <laughs> mm-hmm. And some of these writers that you mentioned, I think are, are kind of, uh, are both in many ways, like Jason Reynolds, for example, incredibly powerful books, but also, um, uh, you know, wonderful accessibility to young people in a way mm-hmm. that, 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 um, that's just, um, that's just really, that's just really great. But I think that, that, that when you, when you go for like, for, for these topics that are serious, um, a, you have to also kind of make them readable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, but that, that combination of, 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 you know, my, 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 my formula is really pick something that I really am re- really interested in, interested in that, that intrigues me, 
and and then try to make it entertaining. <laughs> yeah, and I think there is a fine line there because I mean, your books not only are they you know phenomenal to read, but you know they they win awards, they sell a lot of copies, and so it is something where there clearly is an interest for these topics. But exactly what you said, I think if you were to write a book just because it's something that is popular right now in the world for young readers, as opposed to something you're truly passionate about, like you said, you're going to spend a year or two with this content. Like it would show through if you just didn't care at all about what you were writing, I would have to imagine. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Maybe I'll give it a try. I was thinking about Mexican vampires or something. <laughs> hey, you know, I, vampires, that's, I, we joke around my co-host and I all the time about like, if you tell me that there's a, there's a certain thing in a book, I don't really need to hear any like more. Like if there's um, like a magical circus, I'm going to read it. Or if they're like vampires or zombies, like that, those are such like almost like little wheelhouse things. I'm telling you, there would, people would, would definitely want to read those. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I, I, one thing that I really love that jumps out in your books are you tend to focus on these complex relationships between your characters. You know, so many of your books have these really unique interpersonal connections that I feel like drive the plots in these unique ways, whether it's, you know, Sarah and Emiliano or Emiliano and their father. Um, Do you focus on these relationships first or are you plot driven? I guess like what part of the story comes first for you? Well, for me, the character always comes first. So, you know, I spend a lot of time, you know, imagining and giving kind of birth to these uh, to these characters even before I start uh, writing the novel I'm pretty I'm pretty clear on who who they are what they like and um, what their flaws are you know and and I think that when you have when you when you have these characters then the next the next thing is the that the conflict is always for me is always and the suspense is always going to be based around moral dilemmas as opposed to you know it's like John Gardner says, you know, real suspense comes from uh, people making choices uh, about their lives mm-hmm. um, and the consequences of those choices. And uh, these moral dilemmas and moral conflicts and moral situations usually involve other people. For You know, the, the, re- the reason that they matter so much is because they affect, you know, how we, how we are with our fathers or with our spouses or with our, you know, with our friends. Um, and so, and so I create these kind of uh, 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 these conflicts between uh, moral conflicts between between people. I think are really, I, I'm really counting that that's what that that's what's really really interesting, you know, in in a in a book. Um, and and so, and also and also, I mean, I think you mentioned the word kind of complexity, and I and I think that that that. Once you start digging into into what a person is like, you you kind of you kind of be you can't help but be complex, right? Because we're this 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 weird mixture of like uh, profound and shallow, you know, uh, petty and deep, mm-hmm. and uh, um, and so to get at the truth of a character, I mean, they have to be like they have to be realistic. They have to be a little bit of like we are. <laughs> yeah. Um- so when you're building out these characters, we've had a lot of different authors tell us these different ways that they um, they discover these characters for themselves. So like um, Harlan Coben told us that he just starts by asking a question, what if? So he'll take his character and he'll say whatever 
situation there and they'll say like what if he goes down that street what would happen and how that would frame who the character is or like uh, jody pico told us about i think it was jody pico or jojo moyes she told us about this um kick the dog thing that she uses she's like if this character saw someone else kick a dog how how would they react to it nice. so are there I, have, I love that i like have used yeah. that in my own writing um are there like ways that you use to discover these characters because like i said they're so fleshed out with how they are emotionally and they're so unique like is it something that you just discover as you're writing through the plot or do you create a character sheets for yourself ahead of time i guess how yeah. do you form them out yeah, no, I, I create them. I, I create them ahead of time. Uh, one of my, my one of my um, my favorite techniques, I guess you would say, would be to um, to write journal entries uh, by in the voice of the character. So it would be the character writing a particular journal or you know to the diary in that particular day, uh, and that's how you know the that's how Marcelo in the real world came up, you know, the character of Marcelo came about is that I started writing, you know, as if I were Marcelo writing in a journal. Mm. Um, and, and, and all of a sudden when you start writing in a journal, you get into the interior uh, thoughts of the character, you know, and, 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 and in, in, a, in a journal, you kind of take for granted that nobody's going to read it. So you're, you're free mm-hmm. to say whatever you want, you know, and, and, uh, and, and some of the stuff that I write in the journal, uh, in 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 uh, in the in the person of the character, never you know never makes it to the book, but it creates a, a more a firmer um, a firmer image of that character in in my mind. Would you say that any of like creating these journal entries um, have ever affected the plot? You know, a lot of some of your stories have, you know, obviously we have immigration and asylum and, and illegal. Yeah. But you also have, you know, you have books that deal with depression and also that deal with like illnesses in your families and even like characters being on the spectrum and things like that and falling in love and all of these really big subjects. Do you ever find yourself working on a character and saying like, well, actually, maybe I should take the plot in this other direction to, to fit with what I'm building out here? Yeah, the, the plot is, is um, the plot really kind of happens kind of afterwards i mean that my these two books disappeared in the legal are are more a little bit more plot driven than than the rest of my books just because they're suspenseful and you know and, and they're getting kids are getting chased at and their right. lives are in danger and so forth so you have to pay more attention of tying tying the different uh, strands together um but um but usually i think that that that, that I write it like I write a chapter at a time and, 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 and not really knowing what the next chapter is going to be like, but I, I, I have faith that somewhere in the, in writing of that chapter, I'll get, you know, I'll know what's, well, I'll know what's coming up next. And it, and it largely depends on this interaction between the characters that kind of like leads me in a, uh, in a particular, in a particular way. Um, so yes, I, you know, I think that the characters kind of drive the, they teach me things all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled by them. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so along those lines, you, you mentioned like finishing a chapter, not always knowing where the next one's going to go. Uh, we've, I've heard authors tell, you know, tell us and tell others that they'll like, they'll leave off like in the middle of a sentence when they're writing and so that the next day they know where they're going to start. Yeah. Like, do you finish complete parts and just be like, okay, we'll see where tomorrow takes me. Or do you give yourself a little bit of uh, 
kind of launching pad to use there. Well, I, you know, ideally, like Faulkner used to say, you know, that, that um, always leave it when you're hot because that way you, you can, you, you'll have a, you know, a motivation to sit yeah. down the next day. So I, I try to, um, I, I try to, I try to do that. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's such a gift when you know, when you, when you know what you're going to write that day. (laughs) (laughs) So, but some days you have to wait a little bit for it to come. You know, my, my rule is really to, to, to make it to the desk, to the laptop. And, and I'm, I'm, I've decided that I'm going to spend, I'm committed to spending two hours there at least uh, focusing on the, on the story and whatever happens, happens, you know, get uh, get a couple of paragraphs or get five pages you know you never know <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's the, it's the showing up you know it's the showing up and just uh, and being willing to uh, to dedicate that time to to the writing yeah I, I feel like it's writing as much like anything else how you form um, you know you form patterns and you get used to a certain way of life where like every day you write it makes it easier for the next day to at least start writing. Whereas like every day you don't write, then the longer you don't write, it's just easier to not pick it back up again. It's like, I'll get back to it tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes and you're like, well, we'll see about it tomorrow. It's just yeah. like the, the, so if like you said, making yourself get there every single day and it's like, okay, I'm going to spend this time with the story. At least you're, you're providing that consistency for yourself. And so you know what to expect. Yeah, no, and I'm a great journal writer myself. I mean, I, I still write uh, since high school. I've been writing almost every day, you know, just uh, uh, whatever hap- whatever comes to my mind, I, I, all kinds of things. Uh, and, and that kind of has created the habit of just, you know, mm. it, it makes it easier. You know, you're more spontaneous. Uh, I mean, writing, you know, I've been, as I get older, I, I, I think that writing is less about thinking and more about seeing, you know. Mm. And uh, and so it becomes just easier to see and to transcribe what you're seeing into the, into the page. So as you progress through your life, how do you think your storytelling has changed? I don't. I mean, in terms of craft, I don't see it. Um, I just don't. I don't see any big kind of big differences. You know, kind of. I think what's changed more is the. Um, I mean, obviously, I think hopefully it's getting better. I keep think. I keep writing. When I write a book, I keep challenging myself to you know okay i'm gonna write in the third person because i haven't really written that way you know and it'll be a challenge for me and so i keep i keep i keep trying to grow uh Mm -hmm. with the books in terms of in terms of the craft but in terms of like what's really changed from from when i started writing is more like my attitude towards uh towards writing you know it's what happens inside how i deal with it how i how i see it um and I think that the greatest thing that has happened to me, and I'm very grateful for this, is that I, I appreciate the effort a lot more than I do the, the outcome. You know, I mean, so, so it's really the, um, you know, my it's just my job is done if I, if I if I give it my all, and then what happens to the book afterwards? Well, you know, that's I put it in God's hands or life's hands or, in 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 the hands of great people and nice people like you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I, I do think that is, I've had so many people tell me one of, for them, one of the most challenging parts is understanding that for those, you know, months or years that you're working on the story, it's yours and yours alone, you know, I mean, you know, the editors working with you, but it's really yours. But once you put out of the world, it's the readers to yes. 
enjoy and interpret and discuss. But at that point, even though your name's on it and your dedication and your acknowledgments, it's now really the reader's stories to interpret how they're going to experience that, which can be challenging, but it sounds like you're in a pretty good place where you enjoy the process. And then once it's gone, you're yeah, able to kinda, sort of let it go a bit. I kind of I let it go. I mean, I have to do a little bit of, uh, you know, my publisher expects me to do some promotion around the book. And so I have to do some posts and so forth, but um, uh, it's really, it's really, uh, I mean, to, I'm really, I'm really uh, happy that I've had the opportunity to, to work on it. I'm very grateful to publishers like Scholastic who continue to, um, to want to uh, publish my books, you know, and, and, um, and so it's really kind of more, more of an opportunity to, I guess, like, you know, more of an opportunity to give, you know, as, as when, when, when you start writing out, there's a lot of like, you want to, you want to take. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as you grow older, I think that it, it, you see it more as a, as a, as your way of, of contributing, you know, in a small way to uh, making the world a little better. Yeah. So towards the end of our conversations, we like to ask um, nine questions that we call them the nerd nine because we're fans of alliteration. Um, so the first one is what is the last book you finished reading? Oh, the last book I finished reading was the, um, the book thief by Marcus Susak. It's such a it's such a good book. One, wonderful book, isn't it? Yeah. Heartbreaking, but so good. Uh, do you uh, do you have a favorite place to read? My little my little office in my basement is is my favorite place. Yeah. Do you remember the book that kind of made you fall in love with reading when you were a kid? I I I, I the first book that I read was a book by Mark Twain called The Prince and the Pauper. And I was like, in, uh, I was a big shot in Mexico because I read it when I was in first grade <laughs> and was, was able to stand in front of the class and tell people all about it. That's pretty impressive. That's, a, that's not a first grade level book. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I, made it, I made the most out of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know we can't exactly travel now, but when we can again, what is one place you would like to visit that you have not yet been to? Let's see the one place that I I like to go to Japan. I, I'm a very uh, um, uh, I'm a, a very big reader of of, uh, uh, of of Buddhist texts and 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 so uh, and and and, um, and 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 Zen and so I like to visit some of the some of the Japanese uh, places that I that I've read about. Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? My favorite holiday to celebrate, you know, Fourth of July comes to mind immediately. I'd like the Fourth of July to be a, a, a meaningful uh, holiday where we where we appreciate um, uh, a country that 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 is uh, that is a good country. Mm-hmm. Are you a coffee person or a tea person? No, definitely, definitely a coffee person. <laughs> I have so many, so many authors are just like so strongly in that. that camp oh, no, they're... yeah. <laughs> uh, cats or dogs? I'm a dog person, yeah. But I've had both and I love them both. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite food? Well, it would have to be mole. This is a Mexican uh, uh, dish, you know, that I just uh, don't have enough of. But I, whenever I get it, I delight in it. That's, and it's all, it's very, it's hard to find good mole because it's very elaborate. There's so much that goes into the sauce and like, it's. Yeah, like homemade mole with the, with the, with the, with the cacao. And it's so wonderful. Yeah. 
Um, okay, and then the last one of these, if you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would you pick? <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I'd like, I, I'd like to meet J.D. Salinger. I know that uh, he's, uh, uh, I, I, when I read some of his books, I, 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 I thought that, geez, I'd like to be able to write the way that he does. And he, I know he never likes to talk to people, and so it would be very difficult to get <laughs> <laughs> to get dinner with him, but it would be it would be good to to meet him. I was just gonna say, if you're gonna have that dinner, it'd have to be like in his apartment because I don't think he's leaving for anything. Yeah. Um, okay. Last question for you: What do you hope readers take away from reading *Illegal*? I, you know, I hope that the. Um, uh, I hope I. I think that inside of us, there's always a little bit of a misunderstanding towards people that are that are uh, that are different from us, uh, people that are uh, not as educated as us, people that are poorer, people who seem like to want the things that we want. Uh, and no matter you know how how good we are, there's always a little tinge of um, of distrust, and uh, and so I, I hope that 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 illegal will help uh, will help uh, diminish that. That, uh, that distrust and make, uh, make us a little bit kinder. Well, the book is, is so fantastic and I think really, really important, especially now. And I'm so, so happy that you wrote it and also happy that you joined me today. So Francisco, thank you for chatting with me. Thank you very much. I really, this was fun. And I, I, I'm, as soon as we hang up, I'm gonna start to think about all the things I should have said. <laughs> <laughs> Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com.